Today, as we look at Ephesians 5, realize that if we've been traveling through Ephesians and we are, we are I guess, between 66% and 83% finished as of the end of today, and uh, you realize that there is a flow of Ephesians that is sometimes missed, even though we are going through this very quickly, and to cover Ephesians 5 or cover any Ephesians cha- chapters is pretty difficult to do, and so I want you to, to just bear with me a little bit. Added on top of that, I would, I would myself gauge that this chapter is the very most difficult one to do, and the reason is, is because you're going to see pretty soon with the reason for that. Um, there are some things that will, will maybe, maybe fire up some feelings in you, and uh, at the same time recognize that it's God's word, and, and it's so important for us to see his perspective on how he wants us to be. Ephesians 5 is, the very, the very beginning of it is all about being imitators of God, and recognizing that God has his, uh, we are to be, to follow after Christ, to be conformed to his image. And as we look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, we see this, um, that we have uh, an example that, to follow. And uh, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, that's who we are, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave, him, gave himself for, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it says, follow God's example. Well, what example is that? It's the example of what? Key word, and 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it as a gift. What is it? It starts with an L, has four letters. Love, love. Key word, imitate God. How has God loved us? Most likely because love is actually not necessarily a feeling, and that's where we get kind of mis- mixed up, because if you read tabloids or you, you get on, I don't know, some movie, you're, you're thinking the kind of the fluff, fluffy kind of love. That's what we normally think of as love. But love is actually more of a verb, a more of an action. And uh, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates action. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were what? Still sinners. He died for us. Wow, and you realize that's how much God loves us, and we are to imitate God, and so in the same sacrificial way that God loves us, and, and even though we didn't deserve it, we are to love as well. And with that saying, uh, just that's the premise of this whole chapter as we get into it, recognize that God demonstrates his love for us in a very sacrificial way, and because of that, we are to imitate him. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immortal, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. As we look at, we see just this this kind of recognition and maybe a remembrance to to walk in a way that is worthy. And we we saw that in the early part of Ephesians that we're going to be different. We have to set ourselves apart because if we're imitating God, we will look different to the world for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the, in the Lord. Live as children of light, 
For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, and have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. What we see here is, is that we are actually, we're the light of the world. Uh, Matthew 5, 16, we're the light of the world. And, and because we're the light of the world, we're, we're, also, we're also salt, we're salt and light. And so the world looks at us. Remember Ephesians 3, one of the mysteries of the church was what? What is the mystery that had never been revealed before? Even to the Old Testament saints, they had not an idea that there would be something called the church and that the church would be made up of who? Us. Not, not just Jews, but who? Also Gentiles. That we would be in one body and that this mystery was an amazing thing. And that that mystery that called the church would be light in the world and salt in the world. And light and salt do what? They stick out. If you eat something that's really salty, let's just say you... You're a guy and you try to cook something because she's gone and you think, well, I'm just going to do this, show the kids I can do this. Inevitably, some of you are better than others, but if you're like me, you're going to double dose the salt or you're going to do something wrong. And if you double dose the salt, what's going to be apparent? Yeah, there will be all of the, whatever you made will be left when mom gets home is what's going to happen because salt sticks out. And light, if you have a dark place, and even if you have one of the smallest little LED lights and you bring it into darkness, what happens? It's very apparent, isn't it? You can see it. And so God describes us as salt and light, this mystery called the church. We are to stick out. We are to actually to, to show ourselves as God's example. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And you can kind of see that when when you can see when kids, especially, if they're doing something, they'll go to a, a dark place. Usually it's the closet. Uh, that happens quite a little bit. Or, or, or if you think of just what goes on in the dark, you realize, wow, it goes on in the dark because why? Otherwise it would be exposed. And it, it's just a natural sense of, boy, that exposure is not where people want to go. They will run from the light. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the question is, is your life a contrast to the world today? Could someone see something different in your life? If they knew you pretty well, and especially if they were an unbeliever, could they see the difference that Christ has made in your life? Do you live differently than the world? And when team makers up here and they're saying, we want to live in a certain way, what they're saying is, is we want to be a light to the world. And that light is going to stick out and it's going to show and it's going to be a positive thing. And people who see their lives and their children's lives will be attracted to it because it is something that is attractive. Unless they, of course, want to stay into the dark. But if God is calling someone if God is calling someone, he will give them a ray of light. And it usually looks like someone who they know, someone who they maybe have a relationship with. Well, not only do we walk in the light, but we also walk in wisdom. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
What we see here is this call to walk, not foolishly, but contrasted, but walk wisely because the days are not only short, but there's also this, this whole idea that there's evil around us and we are so easily pulled into that. And so we have to always be on guard, just being on guard all the time, almost like a, someone who is at war, who is in enemy territory. We have to be careful. We have to do things in a, in a way that we kind of circumspect. We introspect on how, how am I walking? What, what's going on in my life? Am I being pulled this way or that way? Are there, there are some things that are pulling me towards the darkness and not towards the light. James 3.13, as Pastor Tri preached through James, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And you see this call to wisdom and call to understand things. And verse 15 is a little different than 17, even though they use the same, it looks like it, to us it's the same as this whole wisdom, this here. There's a difference between the two. There's, for the Greeks, wisdom was, was kind of like a philosophical understanding, like I'd like to talk about some lofty things and big words and that sort of thing. But to a Hebrew, wisdom was the application of knowledge. So they're very different. So in 17, there's a call, and, and as, James, as James says, there's a call to wisdom as it applies to our lives. On, in Acts 17 on Mars Hill, when Paul is this, to this unknown God, and he explains to them, uh, even though they were idolaters, that, that there is this, there is, there's a truth, that there is a God that created everything. And they wanted to go into the knowledge part, the intellectual part, and that's kind of the Greek way of, of being wise. But, but Paul and, and certainly James, as they speak of wisdom, they're talking about actual practical wisdom. What is wisdom in the way that I live my life on a day-to-day basis? What's a wise thing? And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what am I involved in? What am I doing? Is that wise? How can I make the most of the time? I have a, I have a plate and it has 24 sectors in it and they're called hours. How am I going to use that? What things are occupying those sectors and is something crowding something else out? So one, one, just one example of how we might live wisely and, and understand that this time is short. We, we have a very limited amount of time and taking advantage of every opportunity is, is important. Why? Because every conversation I have and every conversation you have, every relationship that you have and every relationship that I have, we have to sift through that and realize that the Lord uses those things for his purposes. The reason I came to Christ was because of another person and the Holy Spirit's pull on me and the conviction that I had and another person's willingness to be perceptive about what was going on around them. They recognized that I was listening in on a conversation. Wisdom. Wisdom to be able to go, ah, you know what? That guy who's waiting for his lunch, he, he, he's interested in our conversation. I didn't say a word to him probably was leaning one direction, and that was what the, the cue was. But that person perceived every relationship, every conversation is important. Why? Well, thankfully, I heard what was said. And thankfully, that person reached out to me and used that opportunity. And those opportunities are kind of fleeting as we recognize that our days are so quick. They just go by so fast. But there is a way that fools have and this is uh, depicted in Scripture and God's Word, 
very first one, Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God or no God. And that can be foolish as well. Either way, it's a fool who says to, there is no God, because it's so clear, as Romans talks about, it's so evident. And if someone is to the point where they're just like, you know what, I can see the evidence, but I just don't want to believe it, that's also no God. And Proverbs 10.21 says, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for the lack of sense. And that die means what? They don't die Physically, well, yeah, that's true. Okay, you do that. There's some, you know some people who've been foolish and they, they physically died because, you know, I mean, you got the seatbelt and you got this and you got that and you're going too fast or whatever it is. That's true too. But also spiritually, that is so true. Being foolish will lead to, and, and, and it will lead to, at the end, a continuation of the spiritual death that we have and a, a lack of a relationship with God, even though God is wanting everyone to come to repentance. The way of the fool seems right to them, but, wise, but the wise listen to advice. And so a foolish person, kind of like on, in Athens, uh, Mars Hill, they would talk about theoretical ideas and stuff, but they really didn't want to actually apply it to the lies. And that's kind of what that's talking about. And then Proverbs 1-7, the, the wisdom chapter, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, applied knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Have you ever had someone ask you a question and then you start explaining because you actually do know the, and they don't listen to you? Has that happened? Okay, you're shaking your heads, yes. And you're like, you're like, wow, I guess you really don't want to know, do you? You just were like, I don't know if it's a conversation piece or what, but I can tell you're like somewhere else, change the subject the whole bit. And you realize that's foolish, isn't it? Especially as it appears this whole idea that we fear the Lord, that we respect him in an honorable way. Opportunity is wonderful. Opportunity is wonderful. When you don't have opportunity, that's when things get a little bit rough. There are at least, in our, in our membership class, and I won't get into details, but there are two miracles in our membership class. And I mean, the opportunity that they're here in this congregation this morning is purely because of God's saving grace. And the opportunity to, to live and to, to enjoy just this fellowship, even, even in that sense, is just amazing. But opportunity, as I was sitting in that booth at my MSU, hearing the truth being spoken to someone else, and wondering in my mind, can it be true? Can it be true that it's not about my works? Can it be true that my sin hasn't just damned me to hell? That there's hope? That there's, that there's opportunity? Opportunity is amazing because it's an opportunity for something different, for something that's better. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, and that is what some of you were. Uh, he's talking about sinners, much like the beginning of Ephesians 5 and idolaters and all these things. He says, and that is what some of you were. How many of you can identify with that verse? Almost every single one of you, because we were all what? And we are still, but we are seen as righteous. And so you recognize, you go, wow. And that is what some of you were. He is speaking to people who have been saved. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so even if your brother or your sister or your uncle or your neighbor or someone who you know doesn't know God and they are actually foolish, they're, they're putting off God right now, guess what? 
opportunity is still there. Until the pulse goes out from underneath them, there is opportunity for us to have an effect. As salt and light in the world, we have the opportunity to share as the church the mystery that had not been revealed before for them to see the church and go, wow, there's something to that. And there is hope and there is something I've never had before. And if you know Christ, you were wise. Why? Because the beginning of wisdom, it's all about coming to God in this hum- humility to be able to receive him. And once we know Christ, we have all these riches. We are wise and we have countless opportunities. If, you're uns- if you have an unsaved family member or friend or anyone who's unsaved, their opportunities are for how long? Till they die. Till then we don't know when that is. If, you're a, if you are a Christian, your opportunities for, are for how long? Eternally. And I don't know if we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, more than once, that would be enough. But boy, will you look forward to that when you have that moment where you're like, whoa, it's true, it's real, I'm here. Our opportunity is so big. Colossians 4, 5, the parallel passage to Ephesians. Remember, Paul penned them from prison. He was in prison, and he wrote both of these probably very closely, very close together as far as timeline goes. And as you look at them, chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians is like Colossians 1 and 2, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians is like Colossians 3 and 4. They're parallel, very similar if you look at them. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Who's that? Who's an outsider? Yeah, you go, okay, I guess, I guess that's, that's the people who I know at work. That's the person I, who I always give my deposit to at the check or, I, or where I talk, at the bank. Or it's the person I, I meet at my, this meeting that I go to every week or whatever it is. Be wise toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. God gives us opportunity. There's serendipitous moments where we go, wow, it just seems like I run into this person all the time. If you run into a person all the time, I know we live in Sheridan, okay? But besides that, there is probably a reason. There's probably a spiritual reason why you're there in their life. And if you just assume that, I always think of it this way. What if I'm wrong and what if you're wrong? What if I'm right and what if you're right? If you take that opportunity as a serendipitous thing that God has given you and you utilize that relationship to help that person see just joyfulness. A person this last week, and I'm not saying this for any reason, at work said, you know, you don't, get it, you don't get upset at us like some of the other people. And I was like, I said, well, I, don't have, my, I have my bad days too. Okay, so recognize that. But when someone recognizes something like that in your life, and I bet they do, they just don't say it. That changes how they see you. You are then, to them, maybe some salt and light. And that opportunity, recognizing that every opportunity you have, the way you do things, the way you treat people, is really important. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Wow. And just let grace pour off your tongue and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that's kind of what God does. His, he just fills us with his grace. We recognize how important that is. This is just, a, just a, the idea that opportunity, I mean, the world sees opportunity as, 
is maybe financial opportunity. Oh, there's an opportunity. I can seize that. I want to buy that. I remember Monopoly in our house. How many of you played Monopoly when you were younger? Do they still play that, or is it on some kind of device? You certainly couldn't throw all the cards if, you were, if it was on a device at the end when you were fed up with your brother or sister. But that's kind of how it went. Like, we wanted Park Place and what is it? Board, boardwalk. You wanted board, and then the green ones, which I can't remember, the Tennessee and some of their... But you were seizing the opportunity. As soon as you could buy one of those, you would do what? I want it. I don't care if I spend all my money. I'm, I want that because land isn't being made or whatever kind of thing. And this idea of opportunity, there's, a, there's this idea that this, and some things are just... This timeline, we are, we are running out of time. I'm over two-thirds... I'm, I don't know. Who knows? I could be 99% done. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> try, to, try to figure that one out. Wow. It's clicking. <laughs> it's sticking. Ephesians 3.10, God's manifold wisdom from last time. We are on display to the whole world. And, and whether it's believers to be encouraged or whether it's unbelievers to be challenged and, 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 and to, to exude grace so they understand where that is all from. The church is the agent of the revelation of this mystery. We are the ones who are to display it. It's like we're putting up boards and we're putting up these things and we're to say, this is, what, this is God's plan. This can be you too. And we, are, we, are, we, we once were sinners too. And we have been made clean. Do you suffer from this dreaded disease called apathy? Okay, now before you answer, if you're married, if you asked your spouse, if you're sometimes apathetic, what would they say? Okay, so that's don't say out loud. But think about it. Are you apathetic? Have you ever had something on your list, your to-do list for like a long time? And you just kind of keep putting it down there because it's not what? Something I want to do, first of all. But secondly, what? Not that important. And you realize there's things that are important that are kind of the tyranny, the urgent that do get done, and there are other things that don't get done. Um, I think it was LaDonna was saying this this week. She did a little science experiment about how long dishes could sit on the counter before someone would do something about it. <laughs> now, her report of this experiment was much different than what I'm going to give you. <laughs> but anyway, the science experiment failed, and uh, the teacher had to clean up the, the lab experiment and, and then tell me about the whole thing. And so realize that there's apathy in everything. We don't see it, right? Oh, yes, we do. We just don't want to deal with it. That's what it's all about. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 is, is kind of the antithesis to this. Let us not become weary or apathetic in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Oh, and it's so often we give up, we quit praying, we quit petitioning, or we quit, we quit trying to reach out to people because it's just been too long or we just lose our, our zeal for that. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and there's this opportunity to, say, to seize this, let us do good to all people, especially to those who, be, who, are, who belong to the family of believers. Let me go back just a couple. Not, you're not going to go back, but I am. Nope, that's not going to happen today. Huh. That was unfortunate. Okay. <laughs> that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is a 2010, and it just might be not wanting to do things the way it's supposed to. Oh, wow, that's really not good. <laughs> Sorry you had to go through this with me. Yeah, it's not going to do it. Okay, so we're on it. That's all. <laughs> do you grab opportunities God affords you? Do you? And can you think right now, you know what, Lord, you've been prompting me to talk to that person or to, to, to engage with that situation and, and to be able to possibly just do a, an act of kindness, a, an act of love, and it could just be something very simple. As a church, are we grabbing every opportunity God gives us? Wow, there's a lot of people. I, I see new people every single week. If you're new this morning, thank you for coming because we love to have new people. It encourages us, but also with those, those new people comes an opportunity because you have gifts that we don't have here necessarily already, or we need more gifts in this particular area. And this whole idea of Ephesians being equipped comes into play. And God sends people literally to churches because they're missing a particular thing. Or people who don't know Christ and who just want a safe place to kind of just examine, man, is this even real? Does this have any semblance of reality? And they show up, and guess what? You are the mystery of the church displayed. And so as we reach out to people, are we taking that opportunity to, to not necessarily uh, you know, break, take our whole time of church, but maybe a couple minutes to say hi to someone. Hey, we're glad you're here. Or show them where the coffee is or the cookies or whatever it is. Taking the opportunity as a church. Walking in the Spirit. Oh, this is the most controversial thing in the whole church. To, well, no, there's some other things too, but this is one of them. Okay, The Spirit, this Holy Spirit thing. Do you know that a lot of people are just really reluctant to talk about the Holy Spirit? It's true. In churches, they're like, whoa, whoa. Now, there's, there's just this idea that I just can't understand how that could be true because it is so important. It's the gas in the engine. You and I do not have the power to do anything outside of the Holy Spirit working in other people and in us. And as we were convicted and came to Christ and we were baptized, brought into the family and dwelled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and we became this part of it, being sealed, actually being sealed by him, we became part of this family that now works in unison, coordinated and by the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes you're like, wow, why did that person introduce me to Christ and why then did that person come Secondly, invited me to a camp, and then that camp led me to go to church, and that led me to take some classes that I needed to take, and you realize, ah, oh, all of that was orchestrated by who? And the Holy Spirit did that. And when Jesus left, he's like, I'm going to leave you a what? A helper. And that helper is not just going to be limited to one place on planet Earth, but where? The whole globe. How much better is that? You go, wow, that's really cool. So what it says here, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That means controlled by the Spirit. That's exactly what that means. It's not about drinking wine. or It's, it's talking about control and, and being controlled by Him, meaning that He actually is one who's living through us. Speaking to one another with... This is, 
these are just, there's four things that he actually, that uh, the Spirit allows us to do. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God for the Father of everything. In In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some of you hate to sing in church. I know this because I can tell you're kind of like, I don't, I'm not going to sing. I don't want to sing. I was with you. I was like, man, I don't really like singing in church. Of course, we sang some songs that weren't that helpful for me to, to, to like singing. But when I was growing up, because they were very liturgical and it was just not really happening that way. But you realize that speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit is, is a way that is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Also, singing and making music and then giving thanks to God and then submitting to one another are all made possible by what? Submission to the Holy Spirit. All of them are. And those are actually all connected to that one phrase as you look at the original language there. This is the one that is most important for the rest of her conversation. Remember when I told you this is a difficult chapter? Okay, here it goes, all right? So just realize the Holy Spirit is necessary for this to happen. We were in, this is on Friday morning, uh, uh, Corey led us through, as leading through Genesis and talked about Genesis 3. I'm just referring to that because we talked about some of those things. One of the things that's really critical as you look through Genesis is Genesis 3.16 it's, it's this whole thing after eating the apple and there's sin and, and the guy did it and he wasn't a very good loving husband because he should have probably just said, you know, we need, to just, we need to repent. That's what we need. We need to stop right now. But instead, he ate the apple and then everybody's in trouble at that point in time. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains. This is a curse. This is something because of this, now this. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. I've witnessed that. Not experienced it, but I have witnessed that. Yeah, that was horrible. That's not underrated at all. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That is a curse. Now, for years, and we skipped over this because I I didn't want to go through it before, but this whole sentence right here has been debated and I don't even want to go into the debates because some of them are so, so silly that someone would actually land right there, your desires for your husband. No, it does not mean that. Here's what it means. A woman named Susan, Professor Susan Foe out of the Eastern, she's, in, she's a, a scholar and she's a Hebrew scholar. And she looked at the original language and she compared it and she realizes that there's only one other place that this language is used in the Bible, this, these words in this way. It is when Cain is going to be controlled by sin. And it's sin wants to control you. And this is exactly what it is. Her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over you. And that's that domineering thing that none of you women want to even hear about. Why? Because it's a curse. Was it God's plan? Absolutely not. This is a curse for her to have the desire, and for him to dominate is a curse. It wasn't, in, it wasn't there in that perfect marriage in Eden. And by the way, that was the last perfect marriage because of the curse. So now we have this curse, and you were just born into it, and I was born into it. And, and so my bent will be to do what? To control and dominate. But what does this mean when it says her desire will be for her husband? Just like sin was going to control Cain 
and he was to resist that. So the woman's curse was to control her husband, who was to be a loving leader, but she is to control, and so the curse is that she will try to, she will try to control him. This is the beginning of uh, chauvinism and the beginning of women's lib, right here. It's, exi- it's always been there. It's been since forever. And guess what? It's part of the sin curse. And so, you're, so as a lady, you're kind of probably wondering, why does he always react that way when I try to help him? Okay? <clears throat> because you were designed to help him. You, it's just in your nature. And that's why the, di- the dishes stayed on the counter for three days when you weren't involved. But when you got involved, they, they suddenly got into the dishwasher. And you realize, wow, sometimes your help is to, to, to engage with him. And, and there's just this, there's some great stuff. And I just want to give you a big plug for Right Now Media. Boy, if you are married... Or if you're not married, you're thinking about being married, or you were married and whatever, there is something for you out there. How many of you are actually using Right Now Media? Raise your hand. Kudos for you. There is such great information. You look up Art of Marriage, which is where the video clip was from, and the clip that Bakers and Kellers went through, which was a super good video series and study. Can you say that, well, that was super? Yeah, the people there loved it. And it was so good for information purposes, but also because there was a time to ask questions and to kind of to, to just dialogue about what is it like for you and how does this work? And there's another one called Love and Respect. And there's another one called His Needs and Her Needs. And they're all, how much do they cost to you today? Zero. They're free. And you can watch them over and over again because you will. You'll watch them. But one of the things that it talks about in love and respect, when you're in helper mode as a wife and you have this, your desire is for your husband and it's to control. And when you fall out of the control of the Holy Spirit, this is the mode you fall into. Because when you're, when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, that's not what you do. But when that sinful side comes to either one of us, domineering for the men or controlling for the, for the, for the woman in, in, this, in another way, we realize it just changes things. And so you engage with your husband because maybe he's not been paying attention to you. Just hypothetical, okay? And you engage with him and you're kind of trying to be a helper by getting engagement because that's how you're designed. And, and then, you're, you're, then she brings up something that was maybe a little contentious and, you know, why haven't you done this for, for a while? There's, that's apathetic. You haven't taken out this or fixed this or do whatever. He, when his heart rate gets to 99, they did studies on this, when his heart rate gets to 99, consistently right in that range for a male, he f- goes into warrior mode. You know what that looks like? You don't really want to see warrior mode, but guess what? That is provoked in him, and he's like, wow, he's got two options. He's going to fly, flight, or he's going to what? He is going to fight. Which does he normally do because he's an honorable man? He flees. And that does a lot of good because you wanted to engage with him, right? So now you're like, okay, buddy, I'm going to chase you out to the garage or whatever project you just took up. And then the heart rate goes up even any, some more. And then we realize, wow, it's all because of what? The curse. But the Holy Spirit allows us to gain control so that we can love and respect one another. And that's where we're going next. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the whole, that's all of us to submit to one another. First Peter, young men, submit to those who are older. It's everyone, not just wives and husbands. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That's a hard one to swallow. It is, isn't it? Especially if the husband or the man has been doing things the wrong way. And so I'm not saying abuse is totally wrong and not tolerated. But if you have a a good-willed husband and a good-willed woman, this, this whole dance becomes something totally different than what the world sees in their own household. And become, because of that, there's light and there's salt. And there is, a, there is an example for them to go, wow, you mean we don't have to live with this, this whole domineering and con- this whole desire thing? Yeah, that's what it means. The Holy Spirit allows us to do that. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. God has order in his church Just like if if you're in the army, there's certain things that certain people do, and there's certain things that happen. And so we realize that God God sets them up with order for the husband as the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body. But Christ is now, when Christ was on the earth, he humbled himself and subjugated himself to who? He says, I just do the will of my Father. It is my, my food is to do the will of the Father. So even though he is equal in essence, but different in function. He put himself under the Father for the purposes of the Godhead. And you realize, wow, that example is just poured right down into marriage because marriage is an example of what? Christ in the church. And you go, oh, that's all pervasive. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And now we're going to take a little commercial break and see if Tanyan can play that one video. And Tanyan is a saint. And so is Troy and Jackie and anybody else who's been in the booth because it is not easy. Are you ready to do that one? If not, Bruce Almighty. Almighty. You got it. Bruce Almighty. This is all about opportunity and about a wife seeing her husband in a different light. And what God has told the husband to do. Are you right? Yeah. No. It's a long story. Well, I like stories. I'm considered a bit of a storyteller myself. My husband? Have you heard of New York's Noah? <laughs> the guy who's building the ark. That's him. I love that story. Noah in the ark. You know, a lot of people miss the point of that story. They think it's about God's wrath and anger. They love it when God gets angry. What is the story about then, the ark? Well, I think it's a love story about believing in each other. You know, the animals showed up in pairs. You know, they stood by each other, side by side, just like Noah and his family. Everybody entered the ark side by side. But my husband says God told him to do it. What do you do with that? Sounds like an opportunity. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, 
you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? Well, I gotta run. A lot of people to serve. Enjoy. A great example. As we submit to one another, there are opportunities, and whether that opportunity is to be grow closer as a family or as a, as a married couple, or whether it's to do something in our lives that will have a, a lasting influence for, for decades and decades and decades, praying for that. Trusting God that he will do that and that when he starts to do those things, realizing that he's going to give us not warm and fuzzies, but what? Opportunities. And we need to seize those opportunities because when they're there, it says that they're fleeting like they have, they have wings on the feet of opportunity. Opportunity to do something that the world is not doing, that we would shine. And this is part of what I was talking about in Ephesians 3, that the angels look down and they are just like, whoa, is she going to actually... Because the angels saw the fall. But when a woman who is led by a loving husband submits underneath his protection, the angels go, whoa, that's not how they're designed because the fall, that's not normal. That sticks out. That shows itself as God is active in that situation. In a way, much like Christ humbled himself and and put himself under the loving hands of his father, a wife too has an example to actually show us really what it looks like to be Christ. We think of Christ in the church and that humbleness of the bride that we have to have. And we recognize that, wow, when a wife is willing to, to come up underneath a loving headship of a husband, that wife is exemplifying God's plan for the world. And it looks really, really beautiful. Because, and this is another plug for love and respect. Edgar Rich, some of you have read it, book's been out for 10 years or something. Here's some of the, 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 the theme towards the premise a husband's loving nature towards his wife will draw out from her respect for her husband. But when a husband doesn't love her wife, her response is what I described before about the whole 99 heart rate and stuff. She comes back not with respect, but with what? With the opposite of respect. And that goes into... And then he gets all like, okay, you're, I'm going to the garage. And then the crazy cycle just breaks completely free. And then nobody, nobody is looking like salt and light at that point in time. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And what that means is, is to fall under his leadership. And are you equal? Both of you are equal. And you're going to, 99% of the decisions you're going to agree on. And you're going to run those things by your wife if you're wise because you, if, if you're not, okay, if you're just newly married, maybe you don't know this, but she sees things that are imperceptible to you. She does. She sees things that are totally imperceptible to you. So if you don't listen to her, you are like Proverbs, you're, you're a fool. You are foolish because God has equipped her to do what for you? To help you. 
He knows you don't have the eyes in the back of your head, but it would be helpful if she does to maybe just confer with her a little bit. And so there's this dance that happens, and that's why it's called the art of marriage. It's not the science of marriage. I'd love to have an equation. It'd be so much easier, but it's the art. And art, I'm not really that talented at art. I'm obviously... A husband's role is to be a loving leader. Oh, boy. God showed us. He demonstrated us. While we were sinners, God died for us. Romans 5 You realize, well, that's what a husband... There was a shooting in a, in a movie theater, Aurora, Colorado. It's been a few years. And the shooter came in, and, man, and he shot many, many people. And they, they actually had a video. I don't know how they, they must have little surveillance cameras or whatever it was. And there were, there were people, there were actually other women or probably mama bears, who knows, but they did actually jump in front of the bullets and save another person. They were willing to do that. But there were also husbands who did that. The difference in the study of it was this. The husbands did it instinctively right away. They got in front of their wives. The other ones did not. There was just this understanding that that's what they do. That's the husband's role, to protect, to love, to care and for in a way that represents God and who he is. So women, you have two and a half verses. Paul spends nine and a half on us. So, okay, so here we go. Now, the reason why he has nine and a half verses for us is because what? We're slow, and he knew we needed it. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives. Oh, wow. He actually had to say that. Does he ever say that to his wives, to the wives? Not in such a direct way. It was like, here's where I'm going. I'm not going to waste any words because you may not pay attention after this. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Now he's talking about how your wife and your relationship with her is about the church and without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, which if you have onlookers looking at this, you don't want that. You want this to look like it should be, and, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. Second time he said it, he who loves his wife loves himself. Third time he said it. Did you get it? I think we can. I think we can. All right? After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so there's this leaving, and there's this cleaving, and becoming one, and described here, and it's, it's his design. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Again, here's this church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must what? Now, why didn't he say, why you must love your husbands? Why? Ah, who, would, who said it? Who said it? Thank you, <laughs> Jacob. They don't need to be told, because why? That's the way they were made. You are loving, and wives, you are loving. Now, I'm not saying men don't love, and they, but if you just got to be honest with yourself. Wives, 
don't need to be told to love their husbands. It's in them. And sometimes love looks kind of like they want to help them. And maybe the husband says, you're helping me a little too much. And under the control of the Holy Spirit, it looks beautiful. But otherwise, not so much. But to respect her husband, why is that so important? Why would, why would he, God just say respect? Why did you choose that one? Well, that's true. We do look that, that way a lot. So that's, <laughs> you, you give that in. Because a woman is fed mostly, if you think of her, her tank, her, her, her energy tank, her positive feelings tank, by being loved. And that may look like affection. It may look like caring for. It may look like just taking time to, to just talk and converse and openness and understanding. But a man's tank is filled best by what? By being respected. That's how he's energized. That's how it works. And here it is right here. It's, it's just God's word. He's just saying, you know what? Yeah, I know you may want to say to your husband, I just love you so much. But if you said to him something like this, I just am so appreciative of you that you are a loving leader of our family, the way that you take care of our kids, the way that you work long hours or whatever it is. You just, you just think about things for a little bit. What does he do? And you allow him to see that you can recognize that in him. And it will be the same thing as if he turns around and realizes, wow, my, my wife is best felt love when I openly communicate with her. When I under, seek to understand what she's feeling and not necessarily try to fix it, but seek to understand what that is, all, what's going on in her life and spend some time with her. That dance there, that art is how God designed each one of us. We're different, but we're equal. We're just, we're just different. And if we get that, that makes the whole thing much, much, much better. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I just want to just really focus on the fact that if you are having trouble in your marriage, and here's what I expect. You're going to go out to the car at some point, you're going to go home, and you're going to say, to say to each other, so what did you think about Ephesians 5? And then a conversation is going to happen, and then hopefully what's going to happen is this. Someone's going to say, and it will be the person who thinks that it needs to be said, I'm sorry for not doing this. I'm sorry for not loving you like, I know you need to be loved. I'm sorry for not respecting you. And what that will do is break down all of those things, not fix it all at once, but begin to fix some things that maybe have been in this relationship. And those of you who are single, you are, just think of Paul. You think, was Paul married first off? We don't think so, do we? Paul was not, but did he imitate Christ? Absolutely. Different picture, the church. And you realize the church is made up of just like the, the, anyone out there in, in, our, in our community. The church looks just like that. We all have the opportunity, not just in marriage, to display this forgiveness with one another and in marriage, but also to display that with one another in the what? In the church, in our relationships with people at work, in our relationships with people who we've wounded or hurt in some way kind of need to, to, to cause sort of a, 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 sort of a coming to, to Jesus sort of a thing where, you know what, I, I'm sorry for doing that. 
If you as couples can do that today, boy, God would be so pleased. And getting on a path, and maybe you can just commit to reading Ephesians 5.21 to 5.33 for just this week. Just read it. Each one of you just dwell on it and spend some time thinking about how I can love my wife and how I can respect my husband to be the church that God wants us to be because it has eternal consequences. We're going to watch a, real, a, a, quick, a clip from um, The Art of Marriage, and it's about some couples that have gone through some difficult times and now see the, the, just the blessing of that and how that works. Turns out they did a study on some couples that were ready to hang it up. 70% of them, six years later, were strongly in love with one another. Stick with it. Stay in there. Make the changes needed in order to allow yourselves to enjoy the relationship that God allowed us to have. And that's not... Oh. remember a time that I just, I didn't pack my bags, but I just left because I didn't want to have any more confrontation. I remember that the day I died. And that gave me time to think while she was gone and, and to think about being, being without her. And, and after a while, you're, you work as like the fingers on a hand. You're, you're one person. And when she was gone, I, I felt, I felt real lonely, and I didn't want that. I didn't want that feeling. Hard marriage is really, really hard to, to do. And there came a time in life where I was losing it. And um, he stepped up to the plate, took care of me, and I guess it just brought us together. I think the thing that really makes our marriage work is the fact that we know that we're in this thing until death do us part. Yeah. God brings you together sometimes in a special way, even though you look like you're not made for each other. Uh, we had friends that told us it's never gonna last. You're too opposite. <laughs> we do anything to stay together. I believe in family, he believe in family. You know, and like I say, you work at it. You know, just can't give up. If I could do it all over again, I would. There's, there's nothing I would change. I would, I would say uh, deep love is, is the one thing that has kept us together. I think that's, that's it for me, too. It's unconditional love. No matter what, good or bad, we're in it forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us this word from you. Help us to be imitators of you. Help us to walk in the light, to walk in wisdom, to seize the opportunities that you give us, to submit to one another, not just husbands and wives, but as your body. And as we are married, some of us who are married, that we would recognize that you have given us this gift but as a gift that needs to be under the control of the Holy Spirit and that, that we, would, we would respond to one another under control of the Holy Spirit, that we would be the mystery before other people who don't know you. And if we're single, that we would be the mystery as we live out this life that is 
so, so different. We have many opportunities to show your love to other people, that we would do that in a way that gives you glory and honor is, a, is just an opportunity and a privilege that we all appreciate so much. Thank you for your son, that you first loved us, not with fuzziness, but with sacrificial love. Thank you for that, and thank you for the, the opportunity to have a heritage uh, in the future, hundreds of years from now, that we would be in a place where we can be a part of your kingdom. We can look back in our lives and realize that that time was well spent. It was spent for your, your kingdom and your purposes. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.